This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids. Join the league of families who are transforming family time into unforgettable Bitcoin learning experiences. With our Hoddle Up Bitcoin mining board game, you're not just playing. You're building bridges, creating memories, and unlocking the brilliance of the future one block at a time. If we are questioning the current system and we show the people that their safety cues in their environment might be danger cues, we have to present them a whole new system rather than just to say Bitcoin is good. I think the humans are very altruistic and giving and helping people is the best antidepressants out there on the market right now. The altruistic part of us cannot be triggered if we do not feel safe. So if I do not have a system I live in where I can predict something, then I'm not feeling safe and then I can't be altruistic. And this is what is destroying us right now in a certain way. Hey everybody, welcome to Orange Hatter. My mission for the Orange Hatter podcast is that after tuning in and hearing about everyday women's stories and their path to Bitcoin, you'd think, hey, if Bitcoin made a difference for them, maybe it could do the same for me. I'm so glad you're here and I know you're going to love today's episode. Welcome. Hello, listeners. If you're a woman in the Bitcoin space looking for a transformative getaway, then today's feature is just for you. We've tailored an exclusive retreat designed for rejuvenation, connection, and empowerment, specifically for women like you. Picture this. Mornings that begin with yoga by the ocean, days filled with the awe-inspiring beauty of nature, and conversations with fellow Bitcoin enthusiasts that turn into lasting friendships. This retreat is not just a break from your routine. It's a leap forward for your spirit and career. But it's more than relaxation and networking. We're actively supporting local Bitcoin circular economies. Your participation means contributing to real-world change, connecting you with the impact of Bitcoin beyond the screen. This is an opportunity to step away from the daily grind, to recharge, and to return inspired. Whether you're deep into your Bitcoin journey or just starting, this retreat will offer you valuable insights, support, and a renewed sense of purpose. Ready to be part of this unique experience? Visit www.orangehatter.com forward slash Yucatan now to learn more and reserve your spot. Spaces are limited as we aim to create an intimate and impactful experience for each attendee. Don't miss this chance to recharge, connect, and contribute. Join us. Let's make this retreat a milestone in your Bitcoin journey. Thank you for tuning in, and here's to empowering your path in the world of Bitcoin. We can't wait to welcome you. Hey, Liv. Welcome to Orange Hatter. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Telly. I'm so happy to be here, and thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Let's dive into your background a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm originally from Germany, where I've studied psychology. And I've moved one and a half years ago to America because my husband is originally from here. We actually met in New Zealand while traveling. And then we decided to stay together. And we lived for two years together in Germany while I finished my master's there. And then we moved around one and a half years ago here to, to America. And while we were in Germany and COVID hit and all those restrictions were a thing and the world was a little bit upside down, I was at the end of my master's and I had a couple of seminars on behavioral economics. And what I've learned was how irrational we humans are. And so I had a very interesting seminar specifically on the crash in 2008. We had to read a couple of chapters of the book of Daniel Kahneman. He won the Nobel Prize for 
economics um, because he wrote a book on how irrational humans are. And um, yeah, he, he is a super smart professor originally from Israel. And I was thrown off by how this whole thing in 2008 actually happened from a psychological point of view. We, we learned that a lot of people like who worked for banks gave out loans just because they thought those people were nice and looked like they can pay off the loan, but didn't really check for actually, yeah, if they have jobs and if, if they can really afford to pay off that uh, debt. So we were learning about this and how also 2008 was handled, that the poor people were suffering from that the most and that there weren't any consequences for the bankers necessarily. And at the same time, my husband was talking about Bitcoin all the time. <laughs> I was a little bit annoyed at that time, I, I have to admit, because he was talking in the morning, in the evening about it, and he, he was just nonstop talking about it. And I was like, okay, is it about Bitcoin again? And I now, since I'm in America, I connected with a couple of women and they said, yeah, we went through the same thing, so no worry. So I, I was a bit interested in a certain way, but also annoyed at the beginning. But then, yeah, we did a lot of hikes and you couldn't really do a lot during COVID. So it's really nice in Germany, you just leave the village and you just go for a hike wherever you are. And we talked a lot and he explained me Bitcoin constantly on a deep level. And then I connected at some point like what happened in 2008 and how all of that happened and why it happened, that it is actually because we humans are so irrational and are not always thinking that clear or yeah, making that those good decisions, how we think of us, we do. And to the topic of Bitcoin, something which helps us to, to exchange something, to trade something internationally wide, but it's a currency which is not affected by the inflation at all. And so I thought it was so interesting. And this is yeah my background regarding Bitcoin. And then we came last year to America and my husband said, there's in Miami, the Bitcoin conference. Why don't we go there right before we arrive in America and then actually fly to where we're going to live? I was like, all right, here we go. Let's go to Miami. And I arrived there and he was helping out on a both like how do you say that i don't know like on the conference he had out there someone from a 3d printing company i think it's max and so <clears throat> i was a little bit on my own but i met really cool people there i enjoyed the time i attended a couple of presentations or of talks but i had to i have to admit it wasn't that i was thinking like oh this is amazing here i was thinking it's all about money here then you, you enter the hall where there are so many companies who are like, hey, you get a deal here and give us your information here and you get a little extra gift here and there. And it was a lot about money. And it was in a certain way for me a bit superficial. But of course, when diving deeper into Bitcoin conversation with people, it was yeah, very good in its own way and very meaningful rather than the superficial conference, which I didn't really like. I appreciated though that Dr. Jordan Peterson was there because I really enjoyed his talk. And I was very, I was sitting in the crowd and he was talking about how he doesn't know how Bitcoin will go in the future. Like he, he said, literally, we think it's so amazing and so great of a tool, but we don't really know if things will work the way we think they will work because it's very unlikely that a prediction will go the way 
we think it will go from what humans have experienced so far this is not always how it goes and so i was think i was sitting there in this in this crowd and i was thinking the kerners are not going to like to hear that but everyone was cheering him and i was surprised in that moment and thought maybe i'm missing something here maybe it is not as superficial as i think it is here so <clears throat> nevertheless i left miami and thought cool some rich people meet here and have a fun time in <laughs> in miami and then we arrived in michigan and my husband started the meetup here he was very like into that very engaged and participating in this bitcoin community and helping to grow it and i appreciated that he's so enthusiastic about that and that he wants to give something to the community what you actually see in a lot of bitcoiners i have the feeling everyone wants to share everyone wants to provide something and we went to lansing one time and there were out of a sudden those people a little bit older than 50 and they were using miners to dehydrate their food. They were growing food and they were doing all those crazy things in nowhere. Like you literally drove two hours and then you arrive somewhere in a hall, like a big hall and there's little, a little lake, which is called by the way, Lake Satoshi. And out of a sudden there are those big carnets and then they have, and they bought an old bank and there's a treasure, like an old, very old treasure. And that's full of Bitcoin stuff. This whole old bank has handouts on Bitcoin, the white papers on the wall and all those kind of things. And I was like, what are we doing here? And then Mike, who uh, is one of the organizers besides Ben and PF, who are running the meetup there, was like, hey, Liv, how are you doing? I was like, good. And so do you have any questions regarding Bitcoin? And I was like, yeah, I do not understand everything in detail. And he says, yeah, okay, come with me. And he has that like, screen and there's the man pool and everything and he explains me everything i was like what, are, what is happening here and so those people from are from my, my point of view very grounded very connected to nature they all have gardens or something going on a lot of bitcoin is here in michigan also the south bend or sorry it's the benton harbor meetup all those people are in ann arbor they have a meetup now where everyone is into those topics of farming sovereignty and i just loved it and so then we met Carl Ref Hoddle, who is down in Benton Harbor or South Bend, closer to that area. And he's running his permaculture project with 30 sheep and chickens and all those kind of things. And also like very grounded people. And I was just like thinking, this is so cool here. And this reminded me a lot also of those events Katie the Russian is organizing, where it's all about the whole system, not just about money. It's about what do we eat? How can we improve that more women can give birth in a normal way rather than having a C-section? How can we improve our medical treatment? And all of those kind of other topics, which are very fundamental. And so I thought it was just so amazing to experience it that way. And this is what got me really into Bitcoin. I love what you said about how Bitcoin is not just about money. And that conference that you were at was my first time in a Bitcoin conference. And like you, I didn't want to go and listen to speakers speaking at me from a stage. I went to the floor and I talked to people eyeball to eyeball because I wanted a person telling me about Bitcoin from two feet away so I can yeah. feel if they're sincere because you can get a lot from people's vibe, right? And I 
bugged these vendors to no end with so many questions and they were patient with me. But it was what convinced me finally that we needed to participate in this space. And so in that way, I think we're very similar. And I went to the Jordan Peterson uh, talk as well. And afterwards, Scott and I were talking about it. And the same thing that you just said was what I said. I'm like, he's the only person who raised that question, which is what are the unintended consequences of Bitcoin? Because everybody, 99.9% of people in the space are very optimistic, right? We, we believe in the fundamentals. We think it's going to be the solution to world problems. But he was the only one who said, what are we not seeing? And I love that honesty about him. So I just really resonated with what you shared about what you got out of the conference. And yes, people were applauding because I feel like Bitcoiners are quite open-minded in general. We are willing to consider different points of view, which is so unlike the rest of the world these days. I feel like it's just an echo chamber on whatever side you stand in, that's the echo chamber you stand in. But in Bitcoin space, I think we're pretty open to consider all the possibilities. So that's been really cool. So you got involved in permaculture, and I'm very fascinated by that because as we discussed before we recorded, I have failed miserably in my own attempts, my own fault, because I didn't do any research. But yeah, let's talk more about that. What are you guys doing on the farm and how are you learning from other Bitcoiners? Since I didn't have my green card for quite a while and I was waiting um, for the work permit, I didn't really know what to do here. And I always loved nature. I grew up in Germany in a village with 900 inhabitants. We have two farms in that village with cattle, goats, sheep, chickens. And you literally, even if you don't have any animals, you can get your eggs from everywhere like you just ask someone like do you sell some eggs today and of course you have all the resources and all the access to really good food and so my parents for example they butcher every year a quarter of a cow and just down the street (laughs) and it, it is very well connected and really good food in germany there are also certain certificates which show that vegetables or animals were treated in a biodynamic way so they don't use any pesticides or anything so you can also go in a supermarket and get really good food coming here to america i was thrown off a little bit you can go here in america probably to really good farmers markets but they are also hard to find and often it takes some some time to drive there because they're not everywhere and then you're also sometimes limited to what you can get there. And it's also expensive, especially because of the inflation, especially products like farm, like products, they go up in price the most. This is actually what's written in Seyfedin's Amus book, the, the Fiat Standard, that those kind of products are affected the most by the inflation. So I said to my husband, I'm not working anyways. Why shouldn't we get involved in this little farm here because we live with my parents-in-law and they have a little farm going anyways. And I said, I can help out my father-in-law. So I took over the chickens. We have now at the moment 80 chickens. We will butcher though around 20 to 25 in in two months. And that was a lot of fun (laughs) right from the beginning. 
a lot of chickens are very naughty, unfortunately. So they got out of the fence and then I had to think about solutions. Experience that nature is not really predictable and can really <laughs> challenge humans. And first of all, I, I started off with those chickens and then I started breeding them. So this year I bred 30 chickens and last year around 20. And we have a lot of gardens, around five gardens with a lot of plants, like 120 tomato plants from my father-in-law. I have around, I would say, 25 broccoli plants this year I raised from seed. And then I have around 15 celery plants I raised from seed. And I haven't done much before, except that I always a little bit helped out my mom back home. She's also having her gardens. But yeah, it's all new to me. And I think it is so important to learn stuff like this, to know how it works. And it actually is very fulfilling. And then we got to know Carl and his wife. Carl goes by Ref Hoddle. And he's running this permaculture project close to Benton Harbor and he has sheep and I always thought while I'm not working I could actually get into either having goats or sheep not necessarily cattle because they're pretty big and you have to have certain equipment to to be able to have cattle <laughs> so I said something little and Rev Hoddle has sheep and he said they're low maintenance they're a specific um, kind of sheep they are very resistant when it comes to parasites and they can stay outside during the winter time which is really good because we don't have an option to 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 bring animals in the barn and in the barn are our chickens so there's no more space left we said actually that sounds pretty good to us we bought two pregnant sheep in april this year and then they gave birth in may and we got five little ones <laughs> And that was a very interesting experience, getting up at nighttime, hearing them making noises and being there while they're born, and then being part of the whole process of observing them, how they grow or how they struggle and where they need support. And yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. It's sometimes driving me crazy if they get out of the fence and are naughty and cross the street. And I'm just thinking, how did that happen? But they cross the street where there is a lot of traffic going on and seven sheep survive passing the street. So I'm also right now thinking, I hope they're in their pen <laughs> because they got already out this morning. But yeah, it's a lot of fun on the one hand, but it's also work. So I don't want to give everyone the impression that it's so romantic and so always going well but it's fun definitely and it's meaningful and i think that's the important one that it is meaningful work and it's also important that we learn that things are not always working out the way we want it to for our own mental growth okay. yeah okay here's the problem that i have thinking about raising my own animals especially watching them be born and raising them from babies how are you gonna eat them they're like your babies yeah i don't know what happened with me but I was always thinking the same way. And then I raised chickens. And if you raise chickens, the probability isn't that low that you raise a female chicken. It's actually very high that's, that it is a male chicken. And last year I was just experimenting around. I was just doing what I thought I could do right now. Let's put some eggs in the incubator and see what happens. And then we were standing there in October, November, and there were those 10 roosters in our chicken coop driven by testosterone. They were super aggressive 
and crazy in a certain way, they were just jumping from one hand to the next one. So I entered the chicken coop and everyone was sitting in their roosting area and I wanted to feed them. So the first hens were coming down from the roosting area and the <clears throat> roosters were jumping on them right away. So it was a disaster. And sometimes the hens would just run up to me knowing they would be safe around me. They were so scared. And we had that really beautiful, colorful rooster. And I bred him together with a really nice hen. Their name is Peter and Rosa. And they were our breeding chickens for the last year's season. And they were running around outside. And we just we made that funny joke and gave them names. And interestingly, 12 from 12 chickens 10 were roosters and i don't know what happened in this moment but th those roosters were just nasty and then i said to my husband we have to take them out because our hands are not laying anymore they're scared they are getting beaten up and then you experience nature being brutal in its own way and then it helped me to be okay with butchering a rooster and i killed a rooster. I, I would have never thought that I would be able to do that. But it's just the connection. I'm losing this kind of fear of like being connected to nature and my own survival. If I'm not eating, I have a problem. And I think we cannot live off just vegetables because what, what Ref Hoddle, Carl is saying, those animals are the battery. They eat during the summer and then during winter time, they restore value. And we can eat them during the winter time and we will be okay. I think it is important that I'm able to kill my own animals if I want to eat. And I'm interested in how it will go with the sheep because we haven't butchered them yet. But yeah, I think it will be okay. It's just what other option do we have? And I feel like we had the option throughout the last decades to always go towards this kind of statement or this kind of philosophy easy choices like we can always go for easy choices we just have to go to the supermarket and we will be fine and we can fly everywhere and we can go on vacation and we can do a lot of things um which is what the fiat standard and the capitalism created for us but it has also its downsides so i think that having always the option to get everything we want brings us to a state where we are not having any aims anymore or goals in life anymore and that makes it a bit tricky because i think it's very important to have a goal in life to go towards something and also to face that things are not always working out the way we think they will work out and also to do things which aren't nice because this is actually how life goes it's an up and down of we have to face something which is hard a hardship and then things will be okay again because we acknowledge and appreciate things way more if they are also sometimes like those reminders that we, that life can be hard and we should be very thankful. And I have sometimes the feeling like I, I worked in the area of neuropsychology in Germany and I had, I had a lot of clients who were coming into my office and said, I had a stroke last week and I'm super, super scared that it will happen again. And we see it very often that people who have had a stroke, that they get depressed very easily, especially men. And 
I had the feeling they have never even thought about the, op the, the option that life could end or that something goes wrong. But most of the time they were having high positions like CEO positions or something like this. They had kids, family, everything went well. And then out of some things changed. And then they have to figure out, okay, what is my strategy here right now to compensate this, like to be okay with that it didn't work out the way I thought it would be, that, that life can end. And this is what nature teaches me. And I'm not going to be happy. And I might even cry when we take out our sheep because I love them. But yeah, sacrifice the lamb. <laughs> this is what's written in, in a very ancient book, the Bible. So I, I think there is something to it. And my husband is saying the same thing. A lamb is very precious. When we lost one of the lambs, while they were being born and we maybe maybe we would have been able to help the lamb because the mucosa was wrapped around its head and the mom couldn't get the mucosa off the placenta so the mom didn't have a chance to help her baby to not die because it couldn't breathe and we were approaching in the morning the pen and we heard two little sheep or lamb were like making noises so we were like oh this is so cute and this was the first time that we experienced that one of our sheep got, gave birth and then I saw there was a dead lamb lying and that is something so different than any other animal I would say they are very precious they're very meaningful and so I think it's very hard to give them away but I think that's yeah something which helps us to except that life is the way it goes. It is about a cycle of life. It's about being born and dying. And this is what I think about that. I think you're so right in that the past few decades have made life so easy that we start to have a quite distorted view of how things work. So one of the examples I can share when I felt that was when I stopped buying meat from the grocery stores and I was buying exclusively from a beef farmer. And when you go on their website, they are out of stock often of different parts of the animal. So for the chickens, they would sell out of the legs. And then for the beef, they might sell out of a certain kind of cut or they're, they might be out of the bones. And those are limited quantities, like the smallest quantities on an animal, right? On every chicken, you get two legs. And if you package them up, you're going to sell out of them quickly. It's not like the grocery store where chicken legs are unlimited. And anytime you want chicken legs, you can go there and get it because that's how they're produced. But when you go to a family farm, you realize that everything is finite. If you sell out, you got to wait. Sometimes they sell milk because they're just out and it's the season when the cows are feeding their own babies and they're not taking the milk from the mom. And then you just have to wait. And learning to go with that cycle was actually a mental adjustment for me. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Like that, that changes something in us. Bitcoin does that too. And that's the interesting thing like I, I sometimes hear those young men or women saying yeah I was investing in ethereum I was investing in this and this and everything went well but then it didn't went well and then it wasn't up and down and started to annoy me at some point and but then I I saw bitcoin and like it and the appreciation of bitcoin that it is limited in 
and we won't have the option to just create more is I think what changes humans and their thinking because out of a sudden we have to work towards something and we have more a goal where it's like as of now the the society is just spending money how the, the system is set up to the system wants us to spend money to help the economy grow but what is being created is not really valuable for example what we get from china but people still I sometimes have the feeling tell themselves the story that they get whatever they want and that everything is great the way it is and so ignorance is bliss in a certain way but we humans in general we want more and more what we see is that people create amazing or maybe crazy events to have a baby shower or a bachelorette's party so they go for example to hawaii to have a bachelorette's party that wasn't even a thing back in the days back in the days it was all about friends are coming together and having a great time it's about positive relationships and it still is in a certain way but it has to happen with all this craziness around it that it has to be a really cool event and at some point people are not thinking they can get whatever they want and they need more and more of those dopamine rushes. so if we do something great or if we drink alcohol if we get a positive feedback a certain neurotransmitter is released in our brain and that's dopamine and that gives us a good feeling that's why we are thriving in a certain way and i think that if we work in that way and there are no limits to things we want more and more but we see that we are not really being fulfilled on the long run because it's just always this short oh nice we got another dopamine rush and now it's the next one and now it's the next one it's an addiction in a certain way but there is not really something meaningful necessarily to it and this is what we experience right now in russia russia has out of a sudden a goal a higher goal in life and this is to win against the west the new topic not a new topic it's a related topic but that's a very interesting theme and so what studies show right now is that the depression rate in russia went way down they did a study on that and the kreml published that study as far as i'm informed and it is crazy to see that out of sudden the people know yeah this like life i've experienced that i could go to starbucks and have a coffee or i could go to goa or egypt to have a nice vacation those things were all in a certain way meaningless but out of sudden there's something really meaningful and they are thriving towards the goal and their depression goes down because they're working towards something i do have to say that there's also another factor which is part of this development or process and that is that russians are also having an enemy now so always when a population or a group has an enemy then they are having a higher sense of belonging and this is also what well-being is about well-being is about having an aim but also feeling like you you're part of something like the sense of belonging so this is what we see too that those two factors are an important role but just the crazy fact that in russia the depression goes down because they have a higher aim in life is something which shows me that something is definitely wrong with our system because they already should have had that feeling of a sense of belonging and to have an aim before and not just because a war starts yeah i think you hit the nail on the head there are so many people who are floating around out there and they don't know 
what tribe they belong to. And when you don't know what tribe you belong to, it's a very lonely and scary place. And it's a very anxiety inducing place. I talk to my kids a lot from a point of view of them being biracial. I grew up in a developing country. Scott obviously grew up here. And what we were taught as kids growing up were, were so different. Where I grew up, nationalism was drilled into the children. Pride over your nation was absolutely drilled. Like being Chinese was a great sense of pride. We were proud of our hair color. We were part proud of our eye color. We were proud of our skin color. There was a huge emphasis on feeling proud to be Chinese. And so the culture is preserved in that way. We learn stories, folk tales, and everybody believed in the same thing. Scott grew up here and to a much lesser degree, because it was decades ago, patriotism was taught. But now it is the opposite. Kids are being taught to hate their past, which is such a detrimental thing, I think, like what you were saying, to look at their people and think, oh, they did terrible things. I need to amend for their sins. You you literally take away their ability to feel proud of their tribe and it's so detrimental. What do you think about that from the point of view of a psychologist and also from the point of view of an immigrant? So I think that you can approach the feeling of belonging to a community in two different ways. I see that development right now happening in Germany where we have one party trying to enforce this feeling of belonging. And then it happens with singing the hymn, showing flags of Germany and stuff like this. And this is super superficial. It's nothing meaningful. And telling a child from childhood onwards, yeah, pride of wealth, the nation and kind of conditioning children towards this feeling to be part of this community, I think it's just going the wrong direction. Like we see that with the Amish people here, they're being taught in a certain way how to live their life and they were educated in a certain way. But as far as I'm informed, when they're around 18 to 20, they leave for a year their community to consider if they still want to be part of their community or if they want to be maybe part of another community. And I think it is so important to to not force people in this direction because the most important thing to improve well-being and to reduce depression is to help people to decide for themselves so that they feel that their actions and their decisions matter. Self-efficacy is the, the key word right there. And what I see is we, we have more and more regulations. We are more and more forced in a certain way. Now they want our children to sing the hymn, that the children feel more like they are part of a community. And that doesn't work because that's just maybe we, we feel in a certain moment, oh, that's good, we're part of that, but that's not for the long run. That's just for a short period of time. And what shows us the most that people are not really feeling like they're part of a community is that they don't want to pay their taxes. If you are part of a community, you want to provide for the community. And actually, we should have the intention to pay taxes, but people get married, right before the new year to, to pay less taxes or they have consultant who help them. So something 
in a system where we're forced to do something or to feel like we're part of it, it's just not going to work. That's the one aspect I can say about that. What I think is important is that people have a responsibility, though. People cannot ask for uh, someone to act in their opinion or in their belief if they are not participating. They cannot be like, hey, government, do whatever I want you to do. And then things like, this is how I want it, and you just do it for me. And this is what we see right now, though, worldwide. Everyone is like, I want a better life, and the government should do that. But what I think is best is if everyone has to participate again. Like, you have to go every month to a community meeting. You have to participate. At least one member of the family to give people the feeling that they have responsibility and to give people the feeling that they belong to the community. This is what I can say about that topic. And the sense of belonging is a very crucial one for well-being. And... I do not see it right now. I see it in the Bitcoin community a lot, though. Everyone wants to provide something, and everyone feels like he's part of that community. Now, Telly, I need you to clarify a little bit more the, the question regarding the history aspect. Are they want the children to forget about the history and neglect that? Can you explain that for me one more time? Yeah, I just... I feel sad when I talk to my kids about how much their peers are told to be almost ashamed of their history. And I feel that if you are ashamed of your history or what your people did, then how do you figure out where you belong? Because at the same time, family units are breaking down. And like what you said, the most important part for a human being to feel is that they belong somewhere. Like they, they have their community, like you're saying, and they're working toward a common goal, like what you're saying in Russia. In the United States, I feel sad for children who are told that they can't be proud of the community they're a part of, which is America. I'm not saying they should or should not be taught a certain way. I think the hurt comes from robbing them of the community that they're with because they're told to fight against it. You know what I'm saying? We can talk about gender. We can talk about race. It doesn't really matter, but they're being robbed of your, their community in the way that they are being taught today. My kids, they know their community because they grew up in the homeschooling community. Like you're saying, like the Bitcoiner community is very tight. People feel a great sense of belonging. They're contributing and they know who they are. Same thing for the homeschooler community. It's tight. They know what they're trying to accomplish. So they know where they belong, but a lot of kids don't get that at all, whether it's at home or at school. And I, I just think that's really sad. Yeah, definitely. History has shown us that people can be very brutal. I'm from Germany. I, I know very well what happened during Hitler, the Hitler time, because we were talking about this every year in school. Every year in a different subject, I've heard about what Hitler did and how things went. And there is a generational problem right there because on the one hand, those are our ancestors who participated in that. And then we can think a little bit about this irrationality of humans. We humans, we have created something so great. We drive cars, we fly from one continent to the other within a couple of hours. And we were able to, to improve certain things in this world in a certain way. And we are, in a certain way, very smart when it comes to planning and creating and working together. But we are very irrational. 
And what happened during Hitler, for example, was mass formation, group thinking, and a lot of other cognitive biases impacted the whole population, affected them, and they did what they did. And studies show us that it could happen again, and it could happen also on, on other continents and not just in Germany. And would I now say that those people are all who did that are crazy and horrible? In a certain way, they did a big mistake and they should have st stood up. But they are also irrational. And there are psychopaths out there, but from what I am aware of, it's like a certain percentage. It's not 60%, but I think closer to lower than 10, I think. And to be like, I have a grandmother who was alive during the Hitler time, but she's still my grandmother. And I think it is important to to learn from this, those things, that they happen, to reflect on this rather than to judge and to be like, they did this. It can happen to everyone. And I think it is important that we are not saying the history is bad. It is. For sure it is. Please don't understand me wrong. It was very bad what happened there. And I don't want to in any way find an ex exemption for that or say that that's okay. What well, It was definitely not. But I'm trying just to reply to your question that I think it, it doesn't make sense to to be like, hey, they were bad. Your history was very bad. And that takes a part in like, families. I think it is important that we also in a certain way forgive our especially our families and st to try to understand each other but also to try to especially reflect on ourselves are we doing mistakes right now are we conditioned a certain way and maybe we want to think differently especially the inflation is a thing where we are so conditioned to this new system that inflation is good for us or is okay to have but we are not questioning it because we're so conditioned. As an example, I have lived in different countries. I've lived for half a year in India, for a year in New Zealand, for two months in Turkey, and for the most part of my life in Germany, and now I'm here in America since one and a half years. And you understand culture and how culture is developed on a way more deeper level. And a very funny aspect of what Americans are doing and Germans would never do is washing your child in the sink <laughs> when it's very small. I I don't know if you have heard about this, but this is what Americans do. And I mean, it's fair enough. You can wash your child in the sink if you want to. I am washing chickens before I <laughs> prepare them in the sink. I would never wash my child in the sink. I have talked to my sister and my sister-in-law in Germany. That is a crazy thought to think we should we could wash our children in the sink. and. You see right there, we are differently conditioned in that way that this is okay in one culture and it's not okay in the other culture. And the same goes with inflation. We're conditioned to it, but we're not questioning it. If it is right to do that, to have an inflationary system. So I can just encourage everyone to think about them and how they perceive the world and why they perceive the world they way, the way they do. Because we're conditioned, I'm sorry, that's not any news, but it is not something people like to hear because we all, all are convinced we have a free will, which we do in a certain way. It's just we are also like we depend on our culture and it's also important to have a culture. It's very important. It's very important to have ritual, rituals and traditions. It's important for us. There is a reason why we have Monday 
to sun, like to Sunday is a week and Sunday is the day where we're not doing anything because we need a structure as a human. But yeah, I think it's still very important to, to question certain things and, but not to judge necessarily others. This is at least what I've learned in my education program to become a systemic counselor where you try to understand systems and how they work and how we all perceive the world differently because we all have different experience, but we shouldn't judge someone else, except if it comes to harmful behavior or something like this. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, okay, let's talk about why you think people lack interest in Bitcoin. So as I already said, we are part of this community, part of the system we're in. And our nervous system is constantly looking in our environment for certain cues which are showing us if we are safe or not safe. So we go out into the world, for example, we go into town, and if there is a person who screams, our nervous system is immediately, and also in a subconscious way, detecting there's something going on. The, and you might have experienced that something changes in the body. Out of a sudden, we're a bit like, we're tensing up, like we're a little nervous. So there's a nervous system kicking in right away, and we can't do anything about it. That is very inherent in us. And it is the autonomic nervous system, which plays a very important role in that moment. And the autonomic nervous system means that we cannot impact it. It will regulate our heartbeat and we can't do anything about it. It works on its own. And so the autonomic nervous system is constantly detecting if we are safe or not. And we have created a system where we have a retirement plan, we have bank accounts, and the bank is taking care of our money. We have hospitals, we have a yeah, great medical system, and we have a great food system. We have all the time the option to go into the supermarket and to buy food. And the thing is, our autonomic nervous system is detecting now, I am safe. I have all those systems set in place. And they will help me if I'm in a dangerous situation, like I, I will be okay because I can go into the hospital. I can do this or that. And then we've been coming around and we're saying, yeah, I don't know if I would trust in that bank system. The inflation, this is just, it's just not going to work really well in the long run. The system will eventually crash. And what is happening in someone? Like when it comes to money, it impacts everything. It impacts the food system, the medical system, and everything. And we are triggering the autonomic nervous system because the autonomic nervous system is out of a sudden detecting danger. And the interesting part is that we think that the autonomic nervous system is just regulating our heartbeat or our gut activity, but it also um, impacts how we behave. So, for example, if someone is super nervous, their voice will change their behavior will change, their gesture and mimic will change, and the person will also perceive their environment differently. So if I have a patient who has a super stressful time, and I already feel that in the person because he's super nervous, his voice is different than usually, he will likely perceive my gesture and mimic different. And he, like we see that in people with depression that they judge neutral behavior more as something negative so they think a person didn't like them even though their behavior was neutral and so 
someone who whose um, autonomic nervous system we are triggering might even perceive us differently than we are actually are and so I, I think this is something so inherent in us and so conditioned that yeah we have to be very careful and that is why I think it is so important to look at the bigger picture. And this is my philosophy. If we are questioning the current system and we show the, the people that their safety cues in their environment might be danger cues, we have to present them a whole new system rather than just to say Bitcoin is good. And this is why I love the work of Katie the Russian, who's always doing those underground Citadel events right before the Bitcoin conferences. And she's showing in those during those events that we have to improve our medical system. And, and we can, like we have now crowd health as, as a health insurance or like, it's not a health insurance, but it's healthcare supporter. I don't know how to, to call them, but they help people to pay off their bills and to be like a community and so i think that with crowd health and and texas slim who's improving the the food system by connecting farmers with each other and other people who try to provide for this community that we actually create a whole new system or with homeschooling like homeschooling is a big part too and i i really appreciate that for example you and your husband are so focused on that because that improves our school system again and so we take away those safety cues but we present new ones and i think this is how it is important to approach people and i'm not here as a psychologist to to tell bitcoin how to manipulate people not at all I'm just trying to give an idea of why we are sometimes running against the wall and are not getting closer to the people, though we know <laughs> that it might be interesting to just think about this topic of Bitcoin and maybe just learn about it. And that's all I am asking people to do, to question themselves and how far yeah, Bitcoin might help us. I really resonated with what you said about how if you are depressed or if you're anxious, you will view someone's neutral reaction as something negative. That is so true. And yet, like what you're saying before, too, that it is such a part of ourselves, we are not even aware that we're doing it. We're not even aware that our perception has changed because it's just happening in, in the background, away from our conscious awareness. That's really cool. That, what a great way to frame it. Let's talk about that second point that you told me you, you can cover, which is why Bitcoin can establish a better system. I know we already touched upon different things, but would you like to expand on, on that? A lot of Bitcoiners are questioning the system in a lot of ways. So on the one hand, the school system is lacking in a lot of important aspects. And so homeschooling is becoming a bigger part of the community. Then the Beef Initiative and other Bitcoiners, like here in Michigan too, are focused on whole foods, on good foods, on local foods. And you, we see that in the community a lot. People are considering what can I eat? And also Seyfedin Amus, he is talking about this a lot in his book, The Fiat Standard, how our food consumption or what we eat yeah, has changed and how this impacts our health. And um, regarding this point, I can just say it's very true. We see from my point of view, I don't know any study on it, 
So that's just my perception. I see that more and more people get the diagnosed cancer. And I know there are a lot of studies out there showing that cancer is occurring when people have not enough different bacteria, good bacteria in their gut. So we have in our gut those little microbiomes, the bacteria, and we have good and bad ones. And the good ones are very, very important for us. They help us to produce, for example, neurotransmitters for our brain, for example, serotonin or dopamine, that we actually feel good. That's the reason why sometimes people have depression right after they took antibiotics because they kill off the good bacteria they can't produce serotonin anymore and they get depressed and those bacteria are very important for us to not have cancer and with our the food we are consuming right now we are not really supporting the the growth and the or we are not really maintaining our good microbiomes and i think this is also something where the, the fiat system, the system we're living in right now, is failing, that they are prescribing too many antibiotics and that we have foods out there who do not provide those good microbiomes anymore, like whole milk, like good fresh milk has so many microbiomes in it. It's, it's very important and also fresh air. But also this is changing because we are most of the time inside and we are not working outside anymore. So we are actually breathing in good bacteria. It sounds funny. I know, but it is the truth. And then it exchanges us in our body with our gut. And so I think that a lot of big carnists are questioning that and are not going with the flow. Dr. Martin Seligman, he is the president of the American Association for Psychology, the APA. And he has a very good reputation. He's high up. He was voted in this position of being a president of the APA, the highest quote ever. So, and he has um, formulated a lot of incredibly interesting theories on psychology. And he's saying it doesn't really matter what studies show. It matters what people want to believe. And this is a big problem. And I think Bitcoiners are escaping this and are like, what are actually the studies showing us? And how should we live our life? So that's regarding the medical aspect that we are questioning the system and we provide a new system where we actually look at the studies and we want to look how things go on the long run rather than just for now. Like if people have an infect, of course, an antibiotic will help quickly. But what is happening with the health of that person on the long run? And I think this is an, a big one. We have to think long term and not short term. But humans tend to to always go for the short-term decision releases dopamine and it is very hard to to inhibit the desire to go for it right now rather than to wait and to decide for something in the long run yeah i think we create a new system in a certain way automatically and there are a lot of overlapping interests in big corners like good food and alternative medicine, growing things in a biodynamic way, connecting farmers with each other and all those kind of things. And also, of course, to have a healthy money and to think about what changes in our system if we use Bitcoin as a healthy and hard money, we are living towards something and we save towards something rather than just to spend and to enjoy life right now, but do not think about the future. I feel like you've, you've summed the best parts of Bitcoin, but I'll just go ahead and ask the last question. 
Anyway, um, what would you say to women who are still sitting on the fence about Bitcoin? I can I encourage people just to question things. As a psychologist, I like to ask questions to to help people to go into into certain topics and to de develop and to experience their own path. So I can just encourage people to question, are we that rational or are we maybe irrational? And if we are making mistakes and if we are maybe affected by group thinking, why is that the case and what are the consequences of us doing that? What are the consequences, for example, of accepting always the flu shot if it's recommended? Do we know the consequences? Is it very necessary to get the flu shot right away? And all those kind of things, questioning things. And I think that to, to answer how I would <laughs> reply to that question, I think we are irrational in a, in a lot of ways. And I think that, for example, to decide how much money the government should print is a very rough question. And it is always, that decision is always affected by a lot of emotional content. So if, for example, our minister is going to Ukraine and is seeing all the suffering there, which is very horrible, and then has to decide how much money do we print or how much money do we give them, this cannot be a rational question. Because, but the problem is that we want to save the world because we're in general very altruistic human beings. We want to help everyone. We don't want to see anyone suffer. The problem is just I cannot give anything if I have to take care of my own people first and to look out for those poor people rather than to print money. The rich one can profit off of that and the, the poor ones are suffering more and we create this disbalance which is actually making everything worse but we have helped someone. At the same time, and this is what making what's making it so hard, um, because you sound horrible if you say that we have to consider how much money we spend on donations. And of course, we should donate, but we also like it's a bigger picture. We have to consider a lot of aspects, and so I think that we have to question those things. We have to question if what we have learned so far in life is how it should go or not. And yeah, I, I can just say that on the long run, it will be a way more fulfilling life if we are living towards a Bitcoin standard. So we see in studies that the life satisfaction is not really increasing. I don't exactly know the numbers, but if people, for example, earn $80,000 a year approximately, it doesn't matter how much more money they earn, it won't change their well-being. This is what study shows it. So well-being doesn't really correlate from above 80,000 with the income anymore. Underneath that, it does. So people have to have a certain amount of money to be able to stay alive and to ha have the option to live or work towards something. And then, yeah. That is important to have in that moment the the monetary support and to be able to grow to establish well-being but everything above that doesn't really make a difference and i think it is important to consider this and to know we might be more happy with less in a certain way and 
I think this is what is so great about Bitcoin. We can afford something. We can predict our future because the Bitcoin we have, this is what we will have always, the part of the big portion. And we can develop something and live towards something. And so I think it will help us just to grow to know yeah, what we can expect. Yeah, I think Bitcoin allows us to live and plan past this moment. If you're living the fiat standard, you almost can only live in this moment because looking forward, there's inflation, you don't know how much, right? But Bitcoin allows you to live past this moment and plan for the future. And then you're then given the liberty to stand back and look at larger picture overall than just the tunnel vision of this moment and your survival in this moment. So it sounds like that's what you're saying is question everything because you got to look longer term. You got to look bigger picture. So would you agree with that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we have to look at the bigger picture and long term. We have to think in, in the long run. It's just also our current system, which is not supporting the idea of of Bitcoin. I, I think it is important to, to question that system. That's all I ask people to do for now. Ask, is inflation good or is it maybe not good? And what are the advantages and disadvantages of that? And I, I think at the moment, why people disagree so much with Bitcoiners is because everyone is saying the good, the system we're in right now is good. And it comes down to the behavior of people to actually be able to judge if this current system is good or not. If I understand the behavior of the human on a very deep level, then I can actually decide if the system we're in right now is good or not. And if I understand that people are in a certain way um, willing to look out for their future, and if they can't predict the future because the money isn't stable enough, then they will want to create more and want to buy more and more houses. And then we create that gap between rich and poor. And that's not giving us in any way still stability, but because then that's the big question, is the real estate market stable or not? So all those kind of different things, which will be the big solution, and like investing in real estate, for example, could also crash. So people will get more and more greedy. And compared to that, I hope, because I think the humans are very altruistic and giving and helping people is the best antidepressants out there on the market right now. The altruistic part of us cannot be triggered if we do not feel safe. So if I do not have a system I live in where I can predict something, then I'm not feeling safe and then I can't be altruistic. And this is what is destroying us right now in a certain way. Thank you so much. That was so helpful. I love the way you framed that. And I hope our listeners will begin to question what they perceive to be reality a little bit more. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was really great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode. Did you enjoy it? Wasn't our guest absolutely fabulous? I just love every woman's story on this show. Everybody has a unique perspective, and yet we all come to the same place, which is Bitcoin is an important part of our lives. If this story has inspired you and you would like to know more, go to www.orangetatter.com. Get involved, join our reading group, send me an email and introduce yourself. I would be so happy to hear from you. The best way you can support this show is to spread the word. Tell every woman you know to listen in. You never know how they will be impacted by these stories. I appreciate you so much. See you next time. Bye.
This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids. 